Hi, Mrs. This is Community Soulful. Today we are going to be speaking with someone that is going to remain anonymous. Um, they are currently in their mid-60s, and what we're going to discuss is how can I live with celiac disease and mental health stigmas from the 1980s until now? Um, so, Mrs., without further ado, what is celiac disease? Celiac disease is the intolerance of gluten when it's ingested to the small intestine and your small intestines become inflamed. In adults, you become sick all the time. In children, sometimes it can stunt the growth. In me, um, I became anemic at 60 years old, very anemic. And that's when we did um, you know, the follow-up with blood tests and endoscopies. And that's how you have a true celiac disease diagnosis. That definitely sounds um, painful, especially looks like you'd have to really maintain a certain diet around that type of disease. And, and that can get pretty hard because now we live in, in, in a world where in order to bond with people, you're kind of, you know, doing dinner parties and especially towards, I would even say, you know, at any point in life, it's, it's a really big thing. So to have that kind of disease, it, it can definitely get hard, but how would you say that celiac disease has directly impacted your life and your mental health? Well, when I was first diagnosed, I just wanted to get well. So I did everything I could. I went, I, I sat, you know, met with a dietitian and went on a very strict diet. And then I realized that at my age, socially, mentally, traveling, going to restaurants, parties, everything was changed forever. But it wasn't something I wanted to complain about because it wasn't something I would die from. It's the only known disease that is treatable with diet, diet alone. There's no medication. So, you know, ironically, the pandemic has helped it because I'm not socially out, going to restaurants, getting nervous about ordering food. I'm not having dinner parties and not going to dinner parties, but that leads to the anxiety of not being able to go out again. Now I'm getting nervous because it's going to start opening and I'm getting that feeling in my stomach. Oh my God, I'm going to go out. And I'm... So it is something that I have taken control of by working with a dietitian, staying on my diet, controlling my food and not being embarrassed with the stigma that comes with it because it's not a fad diet. It's a way to stay alive. If you truly are a celiac, you have to stay on this diet. And I was diagnosed at 60, but my mom was also diagnosed at 60, but she only lived 10 years after that. So that's a little scary. Yeah, that is a scary, it's scary when, when you live through something like that. And I know before we started recording, um, we, we were having a few conversations before before we decided to record this podcast. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that we were talking about was in the 1980s, how mental health was frowned upon. And, and even some of your, your examples where you were telling me you had to secret code your calendar so that nobody <laughs> knew you were seeing a therapist. Right. right? And, and unfortunately, I, I want to believe that we're so far away from that, but I just don't really know. But, um, you know, for, for somebody that's lived through it, what would you say that your experience was in the 1980s? Um, and especially with not only a mental health stigma, but 
really a physical health stigma. I mean, it does seem like the celiac disease does go hand in hand with kind of the anxiety you've been feeling. And even in a way, like the embarrassment that we can't help, right? So like the embarrassment of being able to go to a place and, and knowing like, okay, I'm limited on what I can order or, mm-hmm. you know, I might be a burden to my friends. I might be a burden to my family or just the general anxiety of things are going to open up again. And I'm going to be not able to not like, I wouldn't say not control myself, but monitor myself the same way. Right. I'm starting to get, well, I see, I am never tempted to cheat on this diet because once you are so ill, you never want to feel that way again. And then when you start to feel really good, it's the old story that you never knew how sick you were until you got better. And that's how I started to feel. It was a very, it was about six months before I was well. And I, ha- I was forced into retirement. So I couldn't work part-time with what I did at the time. So I had to retire. And, and um, my whole thing was just to stay alive because I was really serious about it. Some people will cheat on this diet, but in the long run, each time your intestine gets inflamed, it's a little harder to come back to normal. So for the first time, because we spoke about things, we spoke about therapy that I went into therapy in 1984. Um, it's when I had my first anxiety attack. It's when right after my mom died. I never knew what it was. It hit me two months after she died. And luckily I had a great doctor that saw me in the ER because I thought of dying. And he said, no, you're not dying. You need to speak to someone and it's not me. And he referred me to a wonderful psychiatrist. I stayed in therapy 19 years. I went from two times a week to one time a week to sometimes not seeing him for a month, but 19 years, he and I had this wonderful relationship and I got control of that anxiety. And I walked out of therapy in 2003 and I knew it was a demon that could come back, but it didn't come back until I got sick because I had lost control of the situation. And, but I had enough therapy to recognize how it happened and it was exhausting to control it. But I am just really good to myself, which is a lot, a lot of people find it hard to do. I have to take that time and sit down and relax and gather my thoughts and say, okay, this is how I have to take care of this today. And, and not be embarrassed about it because there is a stigma about, you know, being able to control things through therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that is just so unfortunate. I really want to believe times have changed and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, um, the point with control. Cause like, what is, what is anxiety? Right. I mean, if you ask me, I'm not a professional, I'm only a mental health advocate and anxiety is trying, trying to control things you can't control mm-hmm. and worrying about things that you can control. So right. I think that that was definitely a good point. And also, um, we spoke outside of this podcast and I'll, and I'll say this again because other people don't know, but you actually, that therapist that you had for, for 19 oh. years, you said had passed away and you said when they died, they died with all my secrets. The worst thing in the world, the worst <laughs> thing in the world is to recognize this. So when I did leave, not leave, but I just parted in 2003, um, he said to me, the door is always open. You can always call me. I'm always here for you. So when this happened to me, 
in 2012. I started to see the signs. So I said, okay, I'm gonna call Dr. S. I need to speak with him. And I called and they told me that four, four or six months prior to me calling, he had died suddenly with an inoperable brain tumor. Well, talk about compounding the anxiety, but I sat down and I thought, okay, now this man died with all my secrets, but he also is pushing me to handle this. I have to handle this. I have to get strong enough. I have to think about how he taught me to handle this kind of stress. And so for me, controlling my day, controlling my diet, um, putting myself out there a little bit, but I travel with my food. Um, I do everything to keep myself calm because that's the only thing I can do to survive this. You know, you can give up smoking, you can give up drugs, you can give up drinking, but you have to eat. If you don't eat, you'll die. And so for me, um, I couldn't believe that it was only a couple of months after all those years that I did call, reach out to him again and this happened, but it sort of was another gift, you know, that I had to do it on my own. And I'm not embarrassed to seek someone else, but you know what? It's just so many years I invested with him um, that I, I have it all in my head and I can control it. Yeah, and I definitely love that you said that it was a gift that you were forced to learn to do things on your own because how many times um, do we almost crutch ourselves in with with certain people? I know a prime example, which is totally unrelated, but like kids with their parents, like they will grow up and be in their mid twenties and still not even know how to open up a bank account. And oh, how many yeah. times do we look to our therapist to make to help make the biggest decisions in our lives or even our friends? Um, whether it comes to like romantic per partners or, or, you know, choosing foods or, or choosing thoughts. Right. Um, so that, that was a great point. And what, what are some ways that right now, you know, since, since the 1980s, since he's passed away and clearly these celiac disease doesn't go right way. Right. And I mean, no. sometimes anxiety doesn't either. So what, what are ways in in today's day that you work towards a better mental health when it comes to celiac disease and when it comes to anxiety? Well, this, I know the signs. I know that when I start spinning, when I feel like there's too much on my plate and I can't handle, like I can't get from point A to point B, I realize, okay, I have to take a step back. I have to, and for me, my friendships and my family are so important and they have been taken away from me. I don't see my family, don't see my friends, I mean, I haven't had a lunch with mommy. <laughs> it's just, I haven't done the things that would be very helpful right now. So I know this will end, but even prior to the pandemic, if there was too much in my calendar, I was trying to do too many things. One thing would lead to the other. You don't sleep, you don't eat right. You start to get that feeling in your stomach. So right now, physically, I make sure I do something every day if it's walking or working out. I also take time for myself. I just cut it off. I cut off the phone, I cut off the TV. I just have to have that time. Um, and I also put people in my life when I can that I need to see. Like it could be a baby, it could be a best friend, it could be somebody that just makes me feel good. And I drove home the other day after seeing my, my niece, who's two and a half years old, my great niece. And I felt like I was on vacation. 
I said, oh my God, this is what we're missing. We're missing the hugs and the kisses and like the just being together with people. So I think with the celiac, it does go hand in hand, but it's also something that you, I privately go through. You know, I just, um, not too many people know how much it can uh, bring on an anxiety attack. But I don't let those demons back in anymore. But it took me years and years of practice and I did it without medication. I'm not against medication. If I needed it, I knew it was there. I did have it in my bag at all times. And he said to me, you know, you're, you're just so hard on yourself, Joyce. Why do you want to do this? I said, no, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. Um, I knew it was there if I needed it. But I started playing tennis like three times a week. I started doing things just for me. And it worked. I'm getting a little nervous that the restaurants are starting to open up though, because you know, and the invitations are going to start coming and the parties oh, are going to yeah. start happening. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm even feeling that too. And I mean, I don't have the dietary problems <laughs> and I don't have um, like the high risk factors, but I completely understand what you mean. Um, but, but, but my fan, final question would be if somebody's mm -hmm. listening to this podcast right now mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're, they've already dealt with the stigmas from the eighties. Maybe they're afraid to go back into therapy. Maybe they're, they're thinking all these things still exist, or they just have dietary issues that seem to bring on anxiety or make life just a bit harder than it already is. Mm -hmm. Um, what's the best piece of advice that you would provide from somebody that stood in their shoes? I would think after all these years now um, that to maybe the communication with more than one person, maybe seeing one doctor isn't the answer. Cause he did say to me one time, maybe a group like to speak with a group, sit with a group and you get it out there. You talk about it, maybe a few people um, and try not to hide what you're feeling. I think that becomes a full-time job is to try to hide it. And um, you end up with, with, the, with a handful of people in your life that do understand you know, what you're going through and they, and they should be supportive. And my, my theory is if somebody is not supportive and they ask you not to talk about something, not, they're not gonna be in my life because that's toxic. You know, oh, it's toxic. Yeah. yeah, it's toxic. Somebody has to make you feel good. And for me, a lot of, a lot of um, the therapy for me is trying to help other people. I am great in a situation where someone needs me, but then, then I just crash. Right. <laughs> right. And right? I mean, that's, that's what this podcast is, is all about, right? It's about building community. That's why we're called soulful community. And it's important to realize like, when someone doesn't let you get, give you the space to let you be who you are, or doesn't, doesn't provide the support that you need, even if they're not toxic, they're not worth your energy. They're so, right. I mean, we don't have to be doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists to say that. I don't think, I just believe one thing that I've definitely learned from, from you today and taking away from like the mental health stigmas from the 1980s, the therapist that passed away with all your secrets is like, don't, no matter, no matter what people have to say, don't, don't stop trying to better yourself. Don't stop trying um, to 
to pursue this journey of self-improvement and find your community front, find your niche and find what works best for you, whether it's not medicine, whether it is medicine, whether it's going to a therapist, whether it's uh, finding a better diet, whether it's making sure that the people around you are only a certain, only a certain type of people, whatever is, whatever will work best for you. So I think that's a great, that's a great point that you brought up and, and really a great note to end on. Um, I wish that I could could put you know your information on my Instagram, but we've chosen to keep you anonymous, and that's totally understandable. Um, but today, uh, thank you so much, Mrs. And uh, I'm community soulful for anybody that wants to reach out, talk about any diseases they're going through, mental health stigmas. Um, I'm happy to discuss it now, especially if you're talking from experiences. Love to know and would love to work with you. So thank you for the time and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gia. Thank you.